You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Welcome to the reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I'm Annika Hurd from Drake University, and here is our first story. Herman shares art of papermaking. Open the door at Suite 104 of the newly renovated Cohen Building on Broadway and be prepared for something new. That new is the brainchild of artist Chelsea Herman, whose studio gallery is bringing, according to her, fine artists' books and paperwork to Council Bluffs. On Saturday afternoon, the studio gallery was warmed by a gathering of artists, friends, and the curious. Drying sheets of handmade paper hung in the late afternoon sun, and Herman's prints lined the walls as people gathered to watch her demonstrate papermaking using cattail fibers. I'm really excited about bringing the community into this space to learn how to make paper or to make fine press artists' books, Herman said. Having a space in this unique building is also exciting. The owners of the Cohen Building won an award for the most responsible and creative project in Iowa for renovation. A big part of bringing the community into her art is building where her studio is. Early on in my search for studio, gallery, and workshop space in the Council Bluffs area, I had an opportunity to speak with 712 Initiatives CEO Cheryl Garst about what responsible and equitable development meant to the 712 Initiative and possible ways of achieving that, she said. This conversation made me excited about the potential future of what is now the Cohen Building and about being part of that. I think some of the ways I envision responsible and equitable development are reflected in the mission statement of the 1,000 Friends of Iowa. The 712 Initiative is a development organization committed to the revitalization of downtown Council Bluffs, and the 1,000 Friends of Iowa is a nonprofit focused on engaging local residents around responsible and equitable land use and addressing the impacts of irresponsible land use. Explaining some of her process, Herman said a lot about making paper is learning about the fibers and the plants that go into the process. Our books are made of paper, of course, but in the making of the paper, we learn about the plants themselves and how their fibers work to make the paper, she said. For instance, as she said on her website, the cattail workshop begins outdoors, where participants learn about the life cycle of the cattail plant and its many uses. Participants explore a few examples of the plant significance within cultural and ecological contexts, as well as where and when and how to collect cattails suitable for papermaking. Participants will learn how to process cattail fiber and create a small edition of cattail paper to take home. Cattail is only one example of the plant fibers she is offering via community workshops in papermaking, also using a variety of materials such as hemp, cotton, cattail, and flax or linen at a cost of $160 for a two-day workshop. I was teaching full-time at UNO and decided to take a chance when this space came open, Herman said. I'm still teaching part-time at the school at UNO. I, still, I also hold workshops around the area, which include printmaking and papermaking. I also hold workshops on plant to paper at Lauritsen Gardens, like taking a risk to work on her art, life sometimes gets in the way. And for Herman, that has meant dealing with fire in Davenport, California. Her parents' home was destroyed in the fire, also known as the CZU Lightning Complex Fire. 
ash recovered from books burnt in the fire are laminated on the covers of her kaleidoscopes books. On her website, she writes that kaleidoscopes responds post-forest fire landscapes of the Monterey Bay area and ponders how to contextualize, read, and articulate the sudden blooms of life and growth encountered in the wake of a firestorm. Like kaleidoscopes, her books look within, as cop questions, what must be discarded in order for intentional growth or expansion to take place. This book uses the metaphor of a thicket to explore the constant human need for deciding what to cut away, release, cover, sink or bury, and what to grasp, tie down, bind, or keep. Difficult questions with few, if any, answers expect what might be found in these books by Herman, who makes the books from hand, by hand, from the heart. Now for our next story, Anti-Abortion Advocating. Iowa lawmaker says she plans to propose total abortion ban. An Iowa lawmaker plans to introduce legislation that would put a total ban on abortion in the state. During a Prayer for Life rally at the Iowa State Capitol on Monday, Representative Luanna Stoltenberg, a Republican from Davenport, said she hopes Iowa will pass a life at conception bill. My prayer is that Iowa will pass a life at conception bill to protect their most vulnerable and defenseless citizens, she said. Stoltenberg, 62, said she had three abortions as a teenager, and the procedures left her unable to have children. She later developed a Christian faith, she said. Opposing abortion was a key part of her 2022 campaign. Stoltenberg has not yet proposed legislation that would prohibit abortion at conception, but she said in an interview she plans to do so. Iowa's Republican legislative leaders said before the session began, they plan to wait for an Iowa Supreme Court decision on the state's so-called fetal heartbeat law before moving forward with more restrictions on abortions. Abortion is legal in Iowa up to 20 weeks. Governor Kim Reynolds is asking the court to reinstate a 2018 law that would ban abortion once cardiac activity is detected in a fetus. Awfully general, whoa, okay, oh my goodness. Generally around six weeks, often before a person knows they are pregnant. If it can be presented to and go forward, I hope it does, Stoltenberg said, of a life at conception proposal, because I think the Supreme Court said they would expedite their decision, but I'm not sure when that will be, so I don't know if it will be before we get out of session or not. Reynolds also spoke at the event, but she did not propose any further restrictions on abortion than reinstating the 2018 law. Still, to the dozens of activists gathered at the Capitol, Reynolds said there is still more to do for the anti-abortion cause. The U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade and left abortion decisions in the hands of the states, rewrote the playbook for the movement, she said. The end of Roe begins a completely new phase in the battle for life, she said. Across the country, what matters now is the will of the people, not government-appointed judges. The 2018 law that would put harsh restrictions on abortion was a national leader, Reynolds said, and she said she hopes the court will reinstate the law. Maintaining our focus on a heartbeat bill doesn't mean doing nothing, Reynolds said. In fact, just the opposite. As we enter a post-real world, it's up to us to show what it means to be a pro-life state. Reynolds highlighted her proposal to provide a boost to the More Options for Maternal Support program passed last year, including, including creating initiatives that reach out to at-risk fathers and potential fathers. Senator Kevin Allens, a Republican from Salix, 
echoed the comments made by Stoltenberg and said his hope is for state law to define life as beginning at conception. Democrats have criticized Republicans' positions on abortion, saying that they are not in line with Iowa voters and threaten women's rights and reproductive health care. In a statement on Monday, Iowa House Democratic leader Jennifer Confrist of Windsor Heights said Iowans overwhelmingly support access to abortion and reproductive freedom. An October 2022 Des Moines Register of Mediacom Iowa poll found that 61% of Iowans think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. She said Democrats are advocating to guarantee access to abortion in Iowa's constitution and provide more access to reproductive health care during the session. Politicians have no place interfering in someone else's decisions about when to start a family, Confrist said. The latest plan by mega Republicans to ban all abortion without exception will put the lives of too many Iowans at risk. Democrats believe everyone deserves the right to make their own health care decisions, especially when it comes to reproductive care and abortion. In an email statement, Planned Parenthood advocates of Iowa lobbyist Maisie Stilwell said placing limits on abortion strips people of their rights and autonomy. For now, abortion remains safe and legal in Iowa, she said, but it's hanging by a thread and politicians in power are working hard to take away our rights, health care, and power over our bodies and futures. Iowa Republican Attorney General Brenna Byrd said at the rally she would work to protect the right to life. Byrd, a Republican, has made moves to represent the state in anti-abortion lawsuits and moves since taking over the office from former Attorney General Tom Miller, a Democrat, after the November election. Byrd signed on to a letter last week warning pharmacy giants CVS and Walgreens that they could run afoul of federal law by sending prescribed abortion pills in the mail. The Food and Drug Administration cleared the way for retail pharmacies to prescribe medication abortions, including through mail, last month. She also appeared to represent the state in the lawsuit to reinstate the 2018 abortion law. As your Attorney General, my job is to uphold the law and to protect the rights and freedoms of all Iowans, born and unborn, she said. Now let's go to our next story. Carter Lake Community Center opens. Following years of planning, the Carter Lake Community Center opened to the public in late January to great enthusiasm from the community. The ultra-modern structure that now encompasses the City Library at 1120 Willow Drive accommodates a multitude of events, sports, and exercise opportunities. The community is very excited to have a facility like this within Carter Lake said Sandy Anderson, the center's director. As with any community center, we're starting off and everything will change according to what the individuals want. It is their center. On a tour, Anderson showed off the contemporary meeting and utility rooms capable of different configurations, sizes, featuring advanced audiovisual equipment, as well as a warming kitchen for catering services. She said they would be available for meetings, conferences, parties, etc. Anderson, who comes to the CLCC after 13 years as health and fitness manager at the Salvation Army's Crock Corps County Center in Omaha, said that the rooms would eventually be the hub of the city's senior center activities, as well as a variety of on-site and virtual exercise classes. I want to develop quality programming, not quantity, she said. At the heart of the center is a massive multi-court gymnasium, 
Basketball, volleyball, and pickleball courts are set up for regular play and leagues for many sports will be formed soon. Indoor walking tracks surround the courts. The CLCC includes an exercise room freshly stocked with the latest in equipment for all capabilities. For senior citizens like Jean Sitzler, who spoke to the nonpareil following a vigorous workout on a recumbent exercise bike, the new facility has been a blessing. People need to stay healthy, not just physically, but mentally, Sitzler said. Being isolated is not good for anyone. I never lived alone before. My husband passed three years ago, so it's been hard for me. And if I come here, I go home with a better attitude. Sitzler said she has been using the exercise machines in Carter Lake rather than having to drive to Omaha for her physical rehabilitation. A big draw is not only the convenience, but also the price. While the community can reserve, receive a peek at the club right now at no cost, Anderson said for residents of Carter Lake, there is an annual membership of $100 for adults and $40 for youth under 80 and seniors over 65. We have needed something for not just the adult, the young adults, but the seniors as you age, Sitzler said. It's not as expensive if I went to the Y. I can afford it on Social Security. Teens from 12 to 17 years old may enter the CLCC unaccompanied once a guardian has signed a waiver. The club has already become a hot spot for pickup basketball games, Anderson said. Children must be accompanied by an adult. Just with exercise and senior programming, the center will also develop a slate of activities for the younger generation. I'm hoping this meets the needs of the community as far as older adults, families, and youth, Anderson said. It gives them a safe place to come. It gives them a variety of activities that will make them prosper and grow and find their own potential. The Carter Lake Library is the final jewel in the CLCC. Library Director Shannon Putney has created a refurbished and updated space with more books and options for adult readers and expanded online options, including nine computers dedicated to specific age groups. Putney has also designed two special areas for children and young adults. These literary retreats feature special seating and amenities for the preteen and teen readers. Also for younger children, the library added a sensory wall for play. The littles come in and they just love it, Putney said. We have accomplished a lot here, and now the community has so much more. The CLCC has three employees, but that number should double in the coming months and expand as the center's programming goes. Current hours are Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Now our next story. Queen of Beach Reads to speak at Iowa Western. A best-selling author will share the chapters in her remarkable career as part of the Council Bluffs Public Library's speaker series. An evening with Helen... I'm sorry, let me restart that. With Ellen Hildebrand will be presented at 7 p.m. on February 16th at the Art Center at Iowa Western Community College, 2700 College Road in Council Bluffs. Hildebrand is the author of 28 novels including The Hotel Nantucket, published June 14, 2022. She writes mostly romance novels, and because many are set on the islands of N Nantucket, Massachusetts, where she lives, she has earned the nickname Queen of Beach Reads. She is planning to retire in 2024 after writing two more Beach Reads, 
but also wants to co-author a novel with her teenage daughter about a boarding school, one of which her daughter currently attends. She is a 1991 graduate of John Hopkins University, where she majored in writing seminars. During her senior year, her first short story, Misdirection, was accepted for publication in Seventeen magazine. After a short stint working in publishing and teaching in New York City, Hildebrand moved to Nantucket in 1994. She attended the University of Iowa's Writer Workshop and earned her Master's of Fine Arts in 1998. She published her first novel, The Beach Club, in summer of 2000. Her 2019 novel, Summer of 96, was her first number novel to debut at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. She is the proud mother of three and a seven-year breast cancer survivor. There will be a book signing at 8 p.m. following the presentation. Books will be on sale from the Bookworm, 2501 South 90th Street, Suite 111. The event is sponsored by the Council Bluffs Public Library Foundation. Next, forecast. Above normal temps continue. What some would call beautiful weather for early February in southwest Iowa continues from the weekend through the first part of this week. Today will be sunny with a high near 48, according to the National Weather Service. A west-northwest wind blows with gusts as high as 23 miles per hour. Tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 28. Above normal daytime temperatures are expected through much of the upcoming week, the Weather Service said in its forecast discussion. Wednesday's weather will be similar, with a slight chance of rain and snow possible overnight Wednesday into Thursday. Temperatures will begin trending cooler into Friday, according to the forecast discussion. Here's the forecast, according to the Weather Service. Today, sunny with a high near 48. West-northwest wind, 6 to 14 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 23 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 28. Light and variable wind becoming south around 6 miles per hour after midnight. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 49. South wind, 6 to 10 miles per hour. Wednesday night, a slight chance of rain before 2 a.m., then a slight chance of snow. Mostly cloudy with a low around 28. Chance of precipitation is 20%. Thursday, a 20% chance of rain afternoon. Mostly cloudy with a high near 40. Breezy. Thursday night, a slight chance of rain and snow before 7 p.m., then a slight chance of snow between 7 p.m. and midnight. Mostly cloudy with a low around 21. Blustery. Friday, sunny with a high near 33. Breezy. Friday night. Mostly clear with a low around 17. Saturday, sunny with a high near 44. Saturday night, partly cloudy with a low around 32. Sunday, partly sunny with a high near 51. Now our next story. Show your love this month by donating blood. Spring is close, but February often brings unpredictable weather that can cause blood drive cancellations and bring it, make it difficult for donors to make their appointments safely. As the American Red Cross continues to monitor seasonal challenges that could impact the blood supply, donors are urged to make and to keep appointments to help prevent a shortage in the weeks to come. Donors of all blood types, particularly type O blood donors, the most needed group, blood group by hospitals, and platelet donors are needed daily to make demand. In thanks for helping to keep hospital shelves stocked, 
All who come to give in February will get a $10 Amazon gift card by email, thanks to Amazon. Those who do come to donate this month will also automatically be entered to win a trip for two to Clearwater Beach, Florida. Details are available at redcross-blood.org slash heart. Protect the blood supply from dropping. Book a time to give blood or platelets by visiting redcrossblood.org or downloading the Red Cross Blood Donor app or calling 1-800-RED-CROSS. February Southwest Iowa blood donation opportunities include the following. Fremont County, February 22nd, noon to 6 p.m. Fremont Mills High School, 27 Jackson Boulevard, Tabor. February 24th, 11.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Sydney United Faith Church, 1975 Highway, 275 Sydney. Harrison County, February 23rd, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Missouri Valley High School, 605 East Lincoln Highway. Pottawatomie County, February 7th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. NP Dodge Real Estate, 1032 Woodbury Avenue, Council Bluffs. February 13th, noon to 5 p.m., Noon Horizon Presbyterian Church, 30 Valley View Drive, Council Bluffs. February 14th, noon to 5 p.m., New Horizon Presbyterian Church, 30 Valley View Drive, Council Bluffs. February 19th, 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., Queen of Apostles Campus, 3304 3rd Avenue, Council Bluffs. February 22nd, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Council Bluffs Area Chamber of Commerce, 149 West Broadway, Council Bluffs. February 27th, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., New Horizon Presbyterian Church, 30 Valley View Drive, Council Bluffs. March 1st, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., AHSTW High School, 768 South Maple, Avoca. March 2nd, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., Abraham Lincoln High School, 1205 Bonham Avenue, Council Bluffs. March 2nd, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Courtyard by Marriott, 2501 Bass Pro Drive, Council Bluffs. Shelby County, February 10th, noon to 5.30 p.m., St. Peter's Hall, 402 5th Street, Defiance. February 8th, 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., Harlan High School, 2102 Durant Street, Harlan. February 8th, noon to 6 p.m., St. Mary's Parish Center, 204 St. Mary Ave, Panama. Now for our next story. Calling while driving may face new rules in Iowa. Most states already require hands-free mode while driving. Using mobile devices while driving a vehicle would be illegal except for when using hands-free modes under a proposal being considered by Iowa's lawmakers. The concept is nothing new. Similar legislation has floated around the Capitol ever since the state in 2017 enacted a ban on texting while driving. But some lawmakers think momentum is building around the proposal, and with a large number of new legislators, this may be the year to put the ban on mobile device operation passes both chambers of the Iowa legislature and make it to Governor Kim Reynolds' desk for her consideration. It's time to get it done. Iowa Senator Zach Walls, a Democrat from Coralville and the leader of the Iowa Senate Democrats, said Friday while recording Iowa Press on Iowa PBS. I sure hope so. It's something that is certainly it's long overdue. From 2015 to 2021 in Iowa, the average annual number of crashes that involve distracted driving increased 64.9% over the previous 14 years, according to the state transportation data. 
Over the same period, the number of distracted driving-related crashes involving fatalities and total deaths from crashes both spiked by 237% in Iowa. In 2022, a total of 338 people died on Iowa roads, according to the Iowa Department of Transportation. Already this year, 25 have been killed. State law enforcement officials say the current ban on texting while driving is nearly impossible to enforce because it is difficult to prove a driver was texting, which is illegal, and not making a call, which remains legal. Proposed legislation that is advancing in the Iowa Senate would allow for mobile device use while driving only in hands-free mode. Any handheld use of a device while driving would be prohibited. The bill, Senate File 60, is supported by five different organizations that represent state law enforcement officials plus the state public safety and transportation departments, according to the state lobbyist records. The proposal is also backed by groups representing insurance companies, car dealers, lawyers, senior citizens, brain injury prevention advocates, and local governments. No groups are registered in opposition to the proposal. Senator Mark Lofgren, a Republican from Muscatine who has been managing the proposed legislation in the Senate, said that as an avid runner, he has witnessed increase in drivers who operate mobile devices while driving. It seems like 20 years ago, as a runner, you didn't see many drivers distracted, Lofgren said. It seems like it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse, and it's gotten worse. Lofgren said he also hopes the proposal passes the Iowa legislature this year. 30 states prohibit the handheld use of mobile devices while driving, according to the National Governor's Highway Safety Association. Representative Pat Grassley, the Republican Speaker of the Iowa House from New Hartford, said he is not sure how many House Republicans support the proposal, given 24 of them are in their first year in the legislature. Senator, Senator Jack Whitfer, the Republican Senate Majority Leader from Grimes, said something similar. There are nine new Senate Republicans this year. He said now that the bill is managed by Lofgren, has passed out of the Senate's Transportation Committee, the full roster of Senate Republicans will start discussing it. You're listening to the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for Tuesday, February 7, 2023, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped in Des Moines. I'm Annika Hurd from Drake University. IRIS volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about this or any IRIS program, please call toll free from anywhere in Iowa at 877 877- 404-4747. We will now go to the obituary section. Bernal C. Bruning. Bernal C. Bruning, age 80, of Trainer, Iowa, passed away February 4, 2023, at CHI Mercy Hospital. Bernal was born April 26, 1942, in Council Bluffs, to the late Clifford and Aurelia Bruning. He graduated from Trainer High School in 1960. Bernal was a lifetime farmer and trainer. He was a member of St. Paul's Lutheran Church. In addition to his parents, he was preceded in death by his wife, Jeanne, running in 1982, brothers Barton in 2017, and Byron in 2018. Bernal is survived by his son, Tom Burning of Trainer, Trainer, Iowa, daughter Kim Burning of Omaha, three grandchildren, Jasmine Burning, Kaylin Brunning, and Micah Martin, nieces and nephews. Visitation with the family, Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. 
at the Cutler O'Neill Meyer Woodring Bayless Park Chapel. Funeral service Thursday, 10.30 a.m. at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Trainer, Iowa. Internment at St. Paul's Cemetery. A lunch will follow in the Fellowship Hall at the church. Memorials are suggested to St. Paul's Lutheran Church or Trainer, Iowa Fire and Rescue. Geraldine Bush. Geraldine Bush, age 92, of Council Bluffs, passed away February 3, 2023, at North Crest Living Center. Jerry was born June 8, 1930, in Kansas City, Missouri, to the late James C. and Veda Francis. She graduated from high school in Kansas City and married to Norman Bush in February 1948. They were blessed with three daughters, Pam, Deborah, and Angela. Jerry was a homemaker and member of the Baptist faith. In addition to her parents, Jerry was preceded in death by her husband, Norman Bush, in 2005 and granddaughter, Ashley Nicole Benton, in 2019. Jerry is survived by her daughters, Pam and Dave Haven of Hermanston, Oregon, Deborah, significant other, Brad Nelson Benton of Houston, Texas, Angela and George Wood of Belton, Texas, two grandchildren, Dustin Minor and Christopher Benton, visitation with family Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., with the service beginning at 7 p.m., Cutler O'Neill Meyer Woodring Bayless Park Chapel. Memorials are suggested to Gideon's International or the American Bible Society. In memoriam, Bob Scott, 9-17-1939-2-7-2005. We can't believe it's been 18 years ago today since you went to be in a much better place with no more pain. We love you and miss you and think about you every day. Love your family. That's all for the obituary section today, so we'll go on to the sports section. Indiana reaches number two in the women's poll. South Carolina beat a top opponent to remain number one in the Associated Press Women's College Basketball Poll released Monday and now has a showdown with another one looming this weekend. The Gamecocks, 23-0, topped then number 5, UConn, 81-77 on Sunday to remain unbeaten and stay the unanimous choice atop the poll from the 28-member national media panel. After facing Auburn on Thursday, South Carolina will play number 3 LSU on Sunday in a matchup from the last two unbeatens in Division I's college women's basketball. Don Stately's team has won 27 consecutive games and has been number one in the polls for 33 consecutive weeks. That's one week short of tying the Huskies for third longest streak atop the poll. Only UConn, 51 weeks, and Louisiana Tech, 36, have had longer runs at number one. While South Carolina has had a stranglehold on number one for more than a year, Indiana is making its first appearance ever at number two after Stanford lost to Washington. I'm going to relish this for a minute, knowing where the program was to where it is, Indiana coach Terry Morin said. We've made a lot of history since we've been here in our nine seasons, and it's one of the most historical things we've been able to accomplish. Give our players credit. I don't want to discount what a big achievement this is. We've been more humbled than to be number two. Indiana has won 10 straight since suffering its lone loss of the season to Michigan State. The Hoosiers are having a tough stretch coming up, starting with a home game against number 5 Iowa on Thursday. Indiana, which hadn't been ranked higher than 4th before Monday, then plays number 13 Iowa State 
and 12th ranked Michigan. That's why we take it one game at a time, but you understand the magnitude of what's ahead of us. I tell the kids all the time we're in control of our own destiny, Warren said. LSU remains number three after close wins over Tennessee, Georgia, and Texas A&M. The Tigers have a week to prepare before the Gamecocks. UConn moved up one spot to fourth after its close loss to the Gamecocks and Iowa was in fifth. The Cardinal fell to sixth, with Utah, Maryland, Duke, and Notre Dame rounding out the top ten. The Blue Devils beat the Irish on Sunday to take over sole possession of first in the ACC and vault up seven spots in the poll. It's Duke's best ranking since the team finished the 2017 season ranked ninth. The NCAA will have its first reveal of the top 16 teams in the tournament to point this on Saturday. Falling Cyclones It was a rough week for Iowa State, which lost to Kansas by one point and Baylor by six. The Cyclones fell nine spots in the poll from 12th to 21st. Reentry. Colorado came back in the poll at number 25 after beating Oregon and Oregon State over the weekend. The Buffaloes were ranked for four weeks before falling out last week. Middle Tennessee dropped out of the poll after losing both its games last week. Next, receiver A.J. Green retires after 12 seasons. Seven-time Pro Bowl receiver A.J. Green retired on Monday after 12 seasons in the NFL. The 34-year-old spent the decade with the Cincinnati Bengals before signing on with the Arizona Cardinals for the last two seasons of his career. Selected by the Bengals with the number four overall pick of the 2011 draft out of Georgia, Green was a Pro Bowl selection in each of his first seven seasons, topping 1,000 yards receiving six times. The 6'4", 207-pounder had a rare blend of size and speed, and his low-key personality made him a favorite among teammates. He teamed with quarterback Andy Dalton to lead the Bengals to the playoffs every year from 2011 to 2015, though they never won a game in the postseason. I've never been a man of many words, so I'll keep this short, Green wrote in an Instagram post. Thank you. Thank you to all who have supported, encouraged, and inspired me throughout my career. Special thank you to the University of Georgia, Cincinnati Bengals, and Arizona Cardinals for the opportunity to pursue my dreams. I've stayed true to this game and it owes me nothing. Be blessed. Love y'all. The next chapter begins. He missed the 2019 season with an ankle injury, but returned to the Bengals in 2020. Green was solid in his first season with the Cardinals in 2021, catching 54 passes for 848 yards and three touchdowns. His production dipped to 24 catches for 236 yards and two touchdowns this season, though he remained a popular presence in the Cardinals' locker room. He finishes his career with 10,514 yards receiving, which ranks 44th in NFL history and had seven touch- 70 touchdown catches. Chiefs activate Edwards Hilaire. Kansas City activated running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire from injured reserve on Monday and placed wide receiver Michael Hardman on the list for the second time as the Chiefs finalized their roster for the Super Bowl. Edwards Hilaire, a 2020 first-round pick, has been out since sustaining a high ankle, splint, high ankle sprain during a win over the Chargers on November 20th. He was designated to return on January 17th, opening a three-week window in which he could be activated. Edwards Hilaire started the first six games of the season before ceding time to the seventh-round pick Isaiah Pacheco, who has become one of the Chiefs' breakout stars. Brady will join Fox in 2024. 
Tom Brady told Colin Coward during Monday's episode of The Herd on FS1 and Fox Sports Radio that he will not start his broadcasting career with Fox until the 2024 season. The seven-time Super Bowl champion, who retired last week after a 23-year career with the New England Patriots and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, signed a 10-year deal with Fox last May to become the network's top analyst when he decided to retire for good. Brady is expected to eventually join Kevin Burkhart's on Fox's top team. Brady is still not expected to be a part of Fox's Super Bowl pregame coverage on Sunday. Nielsen sets goal for Falcons deep. New Atlanta defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen said he's not willing to commit to a 4-3 or 3-4 as the base alignment of his multiple schemes. He said his goal is to just stop people. Nielsen, the former co-defensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints, was hired by Atlanta on January 27th after Dean Pease retired. The Falcons ranked 27th in total defense and 31st with 21 sacks this season. Atlanta's defense gave up no more than 25 points in the final nine games of a 7-10 season. Nielsen said he wants to build on Pease's work, not start over. Vikings hire Flores as D.C. Minnesota hired Brian Flores as its defensive coordinator. The move is the Vikings' first step toward trying to revive a once-dominant unit that, unit that ranked among the NFL's worst last season. Flores was a senior defensive assistant and linebacker coach this season for Pittsburgh. He spent three years as a head coach in Miami prior to that. After he was fired by the Dolphins, Flores, who is black, filed a class action lawsuit alleging racial discrimination by the team and the NFL. Before being hired by the Dolphins, he was assistant for eight seasons for New England's defense. The Patriots won four Super Bowls during his time there. Next, the final four, Hawkeyes and Fighting Illinois. Four things to think about following the Iowa basketball team's 87-79 victory over Illinois on Saturday. 1. The Hot Hand Iowa did an impressive job of feeding the beast once it was apparent that Illinois had no answer for Tony Perkins. The junior did a wonderful job of reintroducing the mid-range jumper to the game of basketball on Saturday on his way to a 32-point performance against the Fighting Illinois. Equally important, his teammates did a great job of finding Perkins. The players were all calling it, Perkins said. C-Mac, Connor McCaffrey, Aaron Ulis, Peyton Stafford, Chris Murray, Philip Rubraca. They were all just calling plays and I was just going with it. That's the sign of a well-connected team, something that didn't escape Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey in his post-game compliments. The players who were on the floor with him, they're yelling out plays to run for him. They recognized this guy's on fire. We're going to him. Nobody else is shooting the ball right now. Two, the impact. Murray and Rebracca have been consistent scorers for the Hawkeyes all season, but when Iowa is able to find that third scorer, it has been Patrick McCaffrey or Euless at times and Perkins on Saturday. It brings an entirely different dynamic to this Iowa team. That third scorer catches defensive difficulties for the opponent, and Saturday, Perkins was Illinois' nightmare. He gets everyone going when he's playing like that, Murray said. You just feed off his energy. He really carried us today, especially on the offensive end. Three, the bottom line. Free throws matter. They certainly did Saturday, when Iowa connected on 26 of the 30 shots it attempted on at the foul line. Perkins' hot hand, 15 of the 16, 
certainly had an impact, but Murray was 7 of 9, and Abraka hit all three of his attempts as the Hawkeyes were locked in on an important area of the game. Since going 6 for 13 at the line in a 63-61 loss at Michigan State on January 26th, Iowa has hit 73 of the 86 free throws it has attempted in the last three games. That's 84.9% touch is 10 percentage points over the Hawkeye season average, which is the fourth best in the Big Ten and has been the deciding factor in Iowa's three-game sweep of a home stand that ended Saturday. Going from 4-5 and five to 7-5 and five in the Big Ten in a span of seven days, the Hawkeyes have played their way into a share of a four-way tie for third place in the Big Ten standings. Only Purdue, which Iowa visits Thursday, and Rutgers sit ahead of Iowa at the moment. The Hawkeyes are currently tied with Illinois, Indiana, and Maryland for third. Four, the scene. Saturday's scene at Carver Hawkeye Arena proved a point that Fran McCaffrey has been pounding home for several years. Saturday afternoon games create fan-friendly environments. The sellout crowd of 15,056 people and the energy it brought demonstrated that Saturday afternoon time slots shouldn't be reserved for only elites in the Big Ten. The 40-year-old arena was as loud as it has ever been on the as the border battle as oh my goodness okay as the border rivals battled trading leads fighting for a victory in an atmosphere that rivaled those that were the norm in the late 1980s when Big Ten basketball was as good as it has ever been. It's really different, and I think it speaks to the competitive advantage in this league, McCaffrey said. I've said we have been have to be cognizant of who's getting all the Saturday home games, because sometimes you look down and one team has six and you have none. That's a problem. I voiced that loud and clear and will continue to do so. And he left Carver Hawkeye on Saturday, appreciative of how fans of both teams brought life and energy to a game that lived up to the atmosphere it was played in. I'm thankful we had this one because the crowd was definitely a factor, McCaffrey says. Next, warmer weather brings out 16 runners in latest winter run series race. The warmer weather brought 16 area runners to Lake Manawa for the latest installment of the Bluffs Track Club Winter Run Series Saturday. Charles Smith of Omaha set the pace in the 10K race with a 38.04 clocking. Cody Smith of Council Bluffs was tops in the two-mile event in 13:30, BTC holds 10K and two-mile runs every first and third Saturdays, December through March at 10 a.m. For the March 4th date, the annual Council Bluffs 13-mile run will be added to the race menu. This spring, BTC is de- celebrating 50 years of the CB 13-mile run, as the inaugural race was held in 1973. For more information, visit the Bluffs Track Club Facebook page. 10K results. First, Charles Smith of Omaha, 40-49 male, 38-04. Two, Logan Fate, Bellevue, Nebraska, 19-29 male, 42-14. Third, Dermot Ferry, Council Bluffs, 50-59 male, 42-59. Fourth, John Milstead, Omaha, 30-39 male, um, 46-25. Fifth, Andrew Codney, Council Bluffs, 30-39 male, 52 21. Sixth, Jim Rogers, Omaha, 50-59 male, 55-54. Three, L'Oreal Fields, Council Bluffs, 40-49 female, 62-05. Seventh, Ty Reimers, Omaha, 40-49 male, 62-04.
Two Mile, First, Cody Smith, Council Bluffs, 15 to 18 male, 1330. Second, Olivia Waite, Council Bluffs, 14 plus female, 1608. Three, Jody Smith, Council Bluffs, 40 to 49 female, 1626. Fourth, Rob Kubrick, Omaha, 60 to 69 male, 2024. Fifth, Pam Carr, Omaha, 50 to 59 female, 2049. Sixth, Anna Miles Bellevue, 60 to 69 female, 2136. Seventh, Sherry Knorr, Omaha, 60 to 69 female, 2333. Eighth, Gib Whitland, Council Bluffs, 70 plus male, 2619. Next, despite loss, Purdue stays number one. Purdue's unquestioned grip on number one in the Associated Press men's college basketball poll is gone after a weekend loss. That didn't stop the Boilermakers from remaining at the top anyway. The Boilermakers earned 38 of 62 first place votes in the poll released Monday to remain at number one for a third straight week and seventh time this season. Purdue was the unanimous choice last week, the first for any team this season, before falling at Indiana over the weekend for only its second loss. The Boilermakers, 22-2, 11-2, have been a leading candidate for National Player in the Year in Zach Eddy and Ken Palm's number one ranked offense, 21.1 points scored per 100 possessions, to go with a top 25 defense. But they got down big, committed 16 turnovers, and allowed the Hoosiers up to number 18 this week to shoot nearly 53% in a 79-74 loss Saturday. When we go to Zach and we make some perimeter shots, the defense gets better sometimes when the offense flows, Purdue coach Matt Painter said at his post-game news conference. And you can't do that. You can always rebound. You can always take care of the ball. You can always make your free throws. Those things there. The loss meant Houston collected... 22 first place votes as it rose one spot to number two, followed by number three Alabama and number four Arizona, each claiming one. The top tier. Texas jumped five spots to number five, shooting past Tennessee, which fell four spots to number six after losing last week at at Florida. UCLA, Virginia, Kansas, and Marquette rounded out the top 10, with Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles cracking the top 10 for the first time since 2019. Rising, the Longhorns jump marked the biggest of the week, followed by Marquette and Miami, each rising four spots. Number 13, Xavier, and number 15, St. Mary's, and number 21, Yukon, joined Indiana in each moving up three positions. In all, 12 teams rose from last week's rankings. Sliding, Kansas State took the week's biggest tumble, falling five spots to number 12 after losing at Kansas at home to Texas last week. Number 16, Gonzaga, joined Tennessee in falling four spots after its overtime loss at St. Mary's. In all, nine teams fell from the last week's rankings. Status quo. Purdue was the only team to remain in the same position this week. Welcome. North Carolina State earned its first AP Top 25 ranking in four years, checking in at number 22. The Wolfpack, 19-5 and and 9-4 Atlantic Coast Conference, spent six weeks in the poll during the 2018-2019 season. NC State already has surpassed the win total for each of the last two seasons and is in contention for the program's first NCAA tournament berth since 2018. 
Creighton and Rutgers joined NC State this week as new additions to the poll, though both were ranked earlier this season. The Blue Jays were number nine in the preseason poll and peaked at number seven before falling out by mid-December, while the Scarlet Knights spent a week at number 23 in mid-January. Farewell, for now. Florida Atlantic, number 19, Clemson, number 20, and Auburn, number 25, fell out of this week's poll. Conference Watch The Big 12 leads all leagues with six teams ranked, including number 11, Iowa State, number 14, Baylor, and number 17, TCU. The Big East is next with five ranked teams, followed by the Big 10 and ACC with three each. The Pac-12, Southeastern, and West Coast Conference teams each have two ranked teams, while the American Athletic and Mountain West each have one. Next, headed to the Hall. Six active players who are a lock for Cooperstown. As we segue from the Hall of Fame election to the soon arrival of pitchers and catchers, this is a good time to celebrate the active players who don't have anything more for us than to earn a ticket for Cooperstown. By my count, and I admit to be a hardliner, there are six. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Miguel Cabrera, Joey Votto, and Zach Granke. And quite possibly after the season, we'll be able to add Jose Altview to the doesn't-have-to-do-anything-more list. Here are their cases. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Buck Showalter, above all, doesn't want to hear that neither Verlander nor Scherzer needs to do anything more for us to cash their tickets for the Hall of Fame. The Mets manager, of course, is counting on each of them continuing to perform in the fashion that has allowed them to accumulate so much boldface in their records. In Verlander's case, it's three times leading the league in wins, four times in innings pitched, five times in strikeouts, four times in WHIP, two Cy Youngs, and three runners-ups. His 244 wins are top among active pitchers. If there's a knock to be found in Verlander's credentials, one supposes it would be his 1-6, 5.63 ERA in nine World Series starts. Scherzer's boldface is equally prolific, four times leading in league in wins, three times in strikeouts and complete games, twice in innings, plus three Cy Youngs and one runner-up. The only question on either of these stalwart righties is how high a percentage they will get from the BBWAA votes. Miguel, Miguel Cabrera. This will be quite the farewell tour for the Tiger Slugger, who's expected to retire after this season. But for 20 years, we have gotten to witness one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time, and that is not an exaggeration. Winner of two MVPs and the 2012 Triple Crown, Cabrera has won three batting titles, led the league in on-base percentage four times, and homers, RBIs, and OPS twice. He is also one of only seven players in history with 3,000 hits and 500 homers, two of whom, two of whom Alex Rodriguez and Rafael Pomero got there with the help of PEDs, while another, Albert Pujols, just retired and will be flying into the Hall of Fame in five years. Clayton Kershaw. Plagued by injuries in recent years, it is likely Kershaw, who will, return, who will turn 35 in March, will also be retiring after this year, although he is still the Dodgers' most effective starter, just in a more limited capacity. He needs three wins for 200, but his but all his other Hall of Fame boxes are not only checked, but pure, pure Kufaxian. Three Cy Young Awards, one MVP, five ERA titles, 
three strikeout titles, three times leading the league in wins, and four times in WHIP. Kershaw's only fault has been the postseason, where he has mystifyingly been an ordinary at-best starter, 13-12, 4.22 ERA, and a big reason why the Dodgers lost two of his three World Series. Joey Votto. Mr. Red is an icon in Cincinnati and one of the most consistently best players in the game for 16 years. He's not going to get 3,000 hits, 2,093, or maybe not even 400 homers. He's at 342, but he's been an on-base machine, seven times leading in the National League in on-base percentage while maintaining a lifetime 297 batting average. There'll undoubtedly be some debate on him, but not for me. He won the MVP in 2010 and had six other top 10 finishes, including a second in 2017. I'm also partial to players who play their entire careers with one team. Zach Granke. While no one was seemingly noticing, this much-traveled righty has been quietly compiling a compelling Hall of Fame resume. His 223 wins are second most to Verlander among active pitchers. He just signed on for another year with the Royals, and it's quite possible he could get the 118 strikeouts needed for the Hall of Fame magic number 3,000. But even if he falls short of that, he had two ERA titles, twice led the league in winning percentage, won a Cy Young, and finished in the top 10 four other times. He probably won't be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but compared to the generation of emasculated starters coming behind him, his numbers are going to look pretty daunting. Probably next year, you can probably add Altview to this list. He's already got three batting titles, four seasons of leading the league in hits, an MVP, and the second most postseason homers, 23, to his credit. But he still needs 65 hits for 2,000, a minimum Hall of Fame requirement for me, eight more homers for 200, and maybe another 100-run season. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. The Nonpareil can be heard each weekday at 3 p.m. Iris volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about today's broadcast or any Iris program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. I'm Annika Hurd from Drake University in Des Moines. Thank you for listening and have a great week.
In Africa, five-year-old Cheru has no choice. She and millions like her must walk miles every day for dirty water. But together, we can end their walk by providing clean water close by. Instead of spending hours walking to get water that makes them sick, girls can be in a classroom that expands their minds and moms will gain back time to care for their families. Sons and daughters can grow up strong, finally free of sicknesses caused by dirty water. At World Vision, care about clean water runs deep. Deep enough to reach one new person with clean water every 10 seconds. Because every child, every person, everywhere deserves clean water and the chance to rise to their full potential. It's true. When you just add water, you change a life. Learn more at worldvision.org.